Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's show, we're talking about some renewals, or I guess one renewal, one premiere, and one finale before dipping our toes into uh, the Emmys and, and talking about uh, the comedy category writ large. Leo, what are you? We putting that together like we we just were brainstorming, trying to settle on the topics we were going to get into, and then you crafted this eloquent opening that made it look like we would planned this out. Poetic intentions. Uh, I did not. Thank I, you. I, Great I, job. That was off the dome. This is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Guys, just this morning, the news hit the wire, the indie wire, that HBO will be renewing The White Lotus for a second season. Although, as most people figured, it'll be a new location, a new cast. Mike White joked that it could be White Lotus San Tropez, which I think is how you pronounce that. San Tropez? I don't know. San- is it San Tropez? That's what I was worried about. Is it a silent Z? I feel like I've heard somebody say Saint-Tropez, but I that sounds don't right. know. I don't that know. sounds right. Uh, I just didn't think of the White Lotus as a chain, but I guess it would be. I also did not think of it as a chain, but I love thinking of it as a chain now. I yes. obviously am very enthusiastic about this news. Uh, I think it's great. <laughs> I'm very excited for them to do it. Uh, but yeah, like even just kind of opening it up like that with, to that little bit of an extreme to be like, oh yeah, this isn't just an isolated incident. This is very specific to the Hawaiian resort in season one, but uh, this is obviously something that goes on in many, many places. So seeing uh, Mike White's brand, which everyone on this podcast loves uh, applied to new locales will be great. And he mentioned in before the news broke, he'd done interviews and he'd mentioned like that he'd be open to this, that it was, uh, you know, that extending the, the series was something that he'd be okay with. And I think he said something about that. He would, you know, maybe like to welcome back some familiar faces. Like yeah. if, we can if you know if it's doable and fits or whatever uh so I, I have the maybe quote here. the quote the quote is i don't think you can credibly have all the season one guests on the same vacation again but maybe it could be a marvel universe type thing marvel universe thing where some of them would come back uh we only made one year deal with the actors so we'd have to find out who is even available i i actually i like both ideas i i like i granted i have not seen the finale i don't know what happens in the finale but I like either the idea of returning to the White Lotus Hotel in Hawaii with a brand new cast of people staying there. But I also like the idea of following some of the vacationers on, a, on another vacation at a different White Lotus resort after whatever transpires in the finale. That old phrase, you need a vacation from your vacation. That's going to apply for at least somebody here. So I don't know if like if 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 a loved one or even like even a stranger died at a Holiday Inn Express I was at. I don't know if I'd stay at another Holiday Inn Express for a while. <laughs> and that's the level of hotel I am staying at. DoubleTree is that still a thing? Courtyard yeah. by Marriott. Yeah, I, ho- I that's what I hope. 
Like, that's the show I would want to see. I want to see a family (laughs) of five jammed into a single room Uh at Courtyard by Marriott. (laughs) I want them to have to fight to get a cot. Uh-huh. Uh, those are the stories I'm interested in. Those are the stories that appeal to me. Well, up top, we announced the, the renewal, and that was what we just talked about, The White Lotus, but there is a premiere, or I guess it has premiered. Yes. Uh, on Monday, uh, Libby, uh, Reservation Dogs. Um, we talked a little bit about this last week, but I wanted you to be able to expound upon it uh, on, on the series from FX. Yes. Uh, so Reservation Dogs is from Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi, who are both indigenous uh, men. In fact, the staff is, I think, completely indigenous. The writing staff is completely indigenous. It's about four teenagers in Oklahoma growing up on the reservation and trying to save up money to uh, move to California. I love this series. Uh, I've watched the first four episodes. It feels very of a piece with um, a lot of those FX comedies that you love, like Atlanta and uh, Atlanta, but that are giving you a slice, that are giving you a window into a hyper-specific world that many of us aren't, uh, have never had before. Um, I am particularly susceptible to this. Uh, having grown up in South Dakota, there are a lot of reservations there. And um, it is a different world. And you see uh, a lot of upsetting things there. I had I had heard feedback before the show premiered that some critics uh, struggled with the dark humor on the show. And that just tells me you've never been to a reservation and you don't care to know about uh, the struggles of indi- indigenous people in the United States. Um, so there are these 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 four these four teens, and they're so lovely and sweet, and they think they're tough. And uh, I don't know. It's 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 definitely a coming of age story, but it's a little bit. It feels a little bit like a coming of age story where you aren't really able to to come of age because your options are so limited. The central characters are Alora and Bear and Cheese and Willy Jack. Um, two girls, two guys, and, uh, they end up accidentally, unintentionally forming a gang, uh, which is how they are trying to make their money. It's really great. And in the, in the premiere, it's the one year anniversary of, of the loss of one of their friends. And it is a very emotional moment. They are remembering Kim. And I think, and, and let me say this. I've watched the first four episodes. I still don't know what happened to their friend, but I can tell you what I suspect happened to their friend. And if that were true, I really think the show is committed to examining those hyper-specific struggles that are taking place all around us that, that we aren't talking about. I know that was very, very vague, but the way that the show manages to, to marry potential hopelessness and humor is uh, beautiful and and lovely and it doesn't look like anything else on TV. So I would I would encourage you to at least check it out. Uh, it's obviously a half hour comedy. It was up on Hulu before it even premiered on FX. So check it out. Reservation Dogs uh, airs on Mondays. You'll like it. I promise.
I, I don't uh, promise. I can't promise that. And just to, just to follow up, you're right, Libby. Every writer, director, and series regular on the show is indigenous. And I want to say they even tried to make sure some of the craftspeople and crew were additionally. Um, Almost certainly. Closing out the clicker. Ben, uh, the finale for Dave, Little Dickie's uh, showcase, the season finale aired yesterday. What can you tell us about Dave without spoiling it for people who haven't watched? But uh, you really enjoyed the second season, even if things if it changed the formula of what Dave might be. Yeah, I don't I don't remember if I talked about this when the show first premiered. Um, and uh, Leo, I believe you're referring to yourself when you ask for people not to be spoiled, for me not to spoil anything for uh, potential soon to be season two uh, Little Dicky watchers. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I. I've been very impressed this year with kind of how they've addressed um, a topic that was was definitely elevated and uh, acknowledged in the first season, which is the idea that that little Dickie, that Dave is existing in a world that was like he's making his money off of an art form that was, you know, created and uh owned and and ever like operate everything done by black artists and he's acknowledged very you know uh bluntly even in season two that a lot of white rappers are able to make a lot of money and a lot of noise and you know just kind of quickly elevate themselves to the top of the pack uh because they're white because they're like the anomaly and a lot of the audience for this music is is white so they're you know just ready to to key right in and uh they've kind of tied a lot of that together in season two with his struggle to produce music he is he at the end of season one he was finally hired on by a label he was supposed to be uh you know releasing his debut album and when the season started um he didn't have anything done he was trying to shoot a music video uh that was a k-pop music video and he only was making it because he knew that k-pop was really big right now and if he could just get a k-pop star in the video then he knows he'll be really big and like the the record will do well and everyone will be happy and he won't be a failure um but that doesn't go according to plan uh a lot of the the rest of the stuff that he's trying to do is is blocked like he can't figure out exactly what it is um one of the things that also gets lumped into this is that he well actually that's a spoiler for leo so i won't get into it um but there's there are easy paths that they could have taken as to like to explain and then course correct for dave's inability to produce and instead in season two They've really tried to not not only force him to see what he's kind of taking advantage of and the privilege that he has and the the like kind of selfish or at least uh, you know um, singular focus that he has when it comes to you know becoming a star, um, but they've also found a really really clever way repeatedly and across the board to include new perspectives and. One of the things that stood out in the first season of Dave was the Gator episode where uh, you kind of followed Gator, his his hype man, uh, for an entire half hour. And you got to, you know, kind of see what his life was life, like outside of Dave and with Dave. And um, it was a really kind of emotional episode as well as all these other things. And we've seen that so many times. Like we've seen so many TV shows just, you know, kind of take a break from their central white protagonist to, you know, go off and, and try to expand the perspective. And some of them are great. Some of them feel like pandering. The Dave one was was very good. But in season two, 
they've they've managed to kind of shift Dave's control of the episode. Like he stays in the episode, but the supporting character that they want to talk about is the one that really becomes the focal point, even though the star of the show is still front and center. Um, and the the way that they do that to elevate like his privilege and elevate kind of you know everything that he's taking for granted makes it such a sharp, yeah. I mean, a sharp satire, but sharp commentary on kind of how we see the world in general, like how the kind of white or white male gaze like just dominates everything, and they just kind of keep tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it uh, in very enriching ways uh, without you know. Uh, stepping out too far away from the story or without it feeling like a reach or without it even including that many more people than we acknowledged and got to know in the first season. Like it's just deepening our relationship with them by letting them kind of, you know, portray this world that they're living in as well. They're not just sidekicks. They're not just supporting characters. Um, but it's, it's also much more than that. So I I've been really impressed with season two of Dave. Uh, the finale aired Wednesday night. Um, it's available on FX on Hulu uh aka it's available on hulu uh i really encourage everybody to give it a shot if you haven't yet um i i'll have more on the site uh hopefully thursday uh, about the finale but yeah it's great uh i will say i do want to catch up with dave uh my i think we talked about this off pod but i think my struggles with dave and little dicky have always been that you know he is someone who is simultaneously trying to do the thing while satirizing it while culturally appropriating it. And like, that is such a, a weird juggling and balancing act that like, I, I just feel that like sometimes it grosses me out, like satirizing the form oh, yeah. that isn't, that isn't yours. But, but I, I, I do look forward to potentially like seeing, you know, him come to like forced to, to look at that via this, the vehicle. What, what a great, thing fx has allowed him to do this over the course of two seasons uh, well, it's also it's, to come to grips it's with what he, what he does like he he will and in the series and they, they i mean this is you know something that's obviously being addressed but he's still adamant that he's not satirizing any sort of music like he's not trying to be the funny rapper he he really struggles with like people who label him as just oh you're just you're gonna make some jokes you're like a comedian who also can rap he's like no no no. i'm a very serious i'm a very good rapper and season two you can kind of see how that ego gets in the way of him just accepting who he is so like there's this there is this weird blend of everything you said the show is able to take the broader perspective and acknowledge all of that and show that to the audience in a way that sometimes it feels like dave is completely unable to see and then at the same time, it also allows you to invest on Dave's part of the journey where you're like, I do kind of like he's he does have talent, like he does have skill. He does work at this and I want him to succeed. I just also want him to be aware of why he's succeeding and try to do something about it, uh, especially with the people who are surrounding him, who've helped him so much and he doesn't necessarily appreciate them. So, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty wild i think i would have a ha, would have had a hard time listening to dave's music without the show i think your like i i didn't really know who he was before i started watching it so but your impression what you're saying about him is exactly what i would have heard so i hear all that ben but it's also tough to swallow because the single that broke him out was save that money 
where he did a dollar sign where the S is, and he did D-A-T is that. So he is clearly usurping the language of oh, sure. hip-hop throughout, and then twisting it on being like, I'm a Jewish guy, so I don't spend that money. I save that money. And then the entire rap is essentially jokes about saving money. And the video is using the tropes of rap videos, but like in a comic way. It's like, we don't have money, but I still want big cars and naked girls and a boat. And I need all this stuff. So like, it's tough to like, early Little Dicky knew exactly what he was doing. And maybe 2021 Little Dicky is now coming to terms with like, but I am also a good rapper, and I don't doubt that he is. I think he probably is a very good rapper. I actually think that that's a great example of kind of the line that they dance around in the show, because he acknowledges very much that that's absolutely like his brand, like that is what he's going after. The idea that he knows what he's doing, like th- as thoroughly as you are seeing it, I don't know if that part of it is true, and I don't know if he like that. I don't know if he knew that that part of it was true. I think he knew that there was a, a like a he wasn't able to identify with the like the the people and the music and everything in that way like that he would want to spend all that money and that he'd be frivolous about it i think he just saw that there was a joke there and now it's asking him to look at the perspective of like okay but why like why are you able to do that like why are you able to make that joke why is that joke funny let's take it to the next level and try to break it down to acknowledge the privilege that's inherent to it uh yeah. i think before i don't think he did that i think he just was like i just think it's funny cuz they say this and i can say this and that'll be good like nobody's doing that so uh, I think now they're they're working toward that, but that's a that's a great interview for someone to have with Little Dicky himself uh, to fully understand how much of this. Five weeks and three days away from the Emmys, and we wanted to start by talking about uh, sort of each category and sort of advocating for some, or not each category, but sort of each section. I would guess. How do you how would you describe comedy, limited series, drama, genre? Genre. Yeah. Genre? The limited series isn't really a genre, so it's it's still iffy. Well, we wanted to start by talking about comedy. And I think, for the most part, everyone thinks comedy is a, is essentially a done deal, with a potential exception of supporting actor. Is Keenan well, I mean, a lock there? I don't think he is. Uh, and not that I think the other ones are locks. Obviously, Ted La- the Ted Lasso behemoth and, and the Gene Smart uh, naissance. Uh, but but essentially, we want to take this time to potentially advocate for some of the other uh, shows and, and and talent that we think people should give a second look to to make sure you know when you do fill out your ballots, hey, remember X Y Z and why this person was was good in, in said show. So Libby, why don't you start and and note that you don't have to talk about the big five categories. You could talk about anything in the comedy space. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think. You know, not to put the cart ahead of the horse, final Emmy voting hasn't even opened yet. That's for next week, uh, today, next week. But hopefully people are but, thinking you know, about it. People are thinking yeah, about uh, Yeah, people are, are planning out meticulously, going through, making sure they've seen the nominees, making sure they're making informed decisions. Uh, I mm-hmm. know. Uh, so let's talk about comedy. You know, it, it feels like Ted Lasso has probably has series wrapped up with Hacks as a strong challenger. You know, I can't imagine a world where Jason Sudeikis does not win lead actor. Uh, I'm I'm nearly as confident with with um, Gene Smart and lead actress. Uh, the supportings have a little more wiggle room. Um, the Battle of the Hannahs. 
There is there is the ban- there is the battle of the Hannahs. There's the battle of every goddamn person on Ted Lasso over in supporting. Um, that has to split the vote, right? There's no there's no there's no way having four actors from the same that seems. I would say, with no spoilers, I I would say that the episodes of Ted Lasso that are airing right now will would make a really strong case retroactively for Brett Goldstein, mm-hmm. even if you know, people didn't feel as strongly about season one. That that's my that's my gut right now. You'll hear a lot of people talking about Keenan. Wait, that's yeah, Keenan yep. for SNL. Which maybe feels like you know, feels like know, a career maybe? like feels like a career achievement award. Cause I I, right. I would argue that Bo and Yang has more quote unquote heat right now of the two I S- would too. of the two SNL performers. That's uh, I feel the same way. So it, it's um it's curious, but what I want to do is I want to pull back a little further and, and focus on some other other categories, specifically comedy writing. In comedy writing, you have the pilots of The Flight Attendant, you have the pilot of Girls 5 Eva, you have the pilot of Hacks, you have uh, the pilot of Ted Lasso, and you also have another Ted Lasso episode, which is arguably uh, one of the best episodes of season one, Make Rebecca Great Again, which is great, but I'm going to spend my time right now uh, stumping for a different non-pilot episode, which is... uh, play from pen 15 now pen 15 got a comedy series nod this year that was huge for them and it's unfortunate that it's coming in a year where the 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 this that category seems to be um pretty locked down uh but this is their second nomination people respect what is happening on pen 15 they respect the scripts that are coming out of it and it's a show that deserves all the love in the world. Uh, Play was a fascinating, w- weird breakout episode, not breakout episode, a uh, standout episode centered around uh, a school play that is that is perfectly in line with, with Pen 15's star, w- with Pen 15's vibe and was written actually by Maya Erskine. Yeah, is, is obviously one of the, the show's co-creators. Just consider it, check it out. Um, Check out its weirdness because I think it's bringing a very different energy than than a lot of these shows um, in this category. And you know what? While we're talking about Pen Fifteen, I don't know where we would pick up this category, but if any show deserves a casting Emmy, it's that show. I don't know how you find that many adolescent kids who are fine acting opposite uh, grown women who are playing adolescent kids, and and every single act. Uh, that they've discovered is is a little marvel. I want to double down on the Pen15 casting. I'm not even sure who else is in that category. You got Hacks, Hacks, Ted Lasso, Flight Attendant, and Kaminsky Method. But like, even as someone who is not the strongest fan of Pen15, the job they do at casting the, the children who act opposite Anna and Maya is incredible. Well, the, the one of the things I wanted to raise was kind of related to that casting idea. And, and I mean... I think in the spirit of, of our kind of advocacy this week, rather than, you know, just sitting here and telling you what's going to win. Uh, I think the casting category is a good kind of reminder of, of why it's not always about who wins. It's just kind of recognizing the work that goes into doing this. And I think when you, I think you guys are completely right. When you look at something like pen 15, you know, when Melissa is faced with, with, you know, pulling in the, the children to fit in with, these with with these adult 
writers, directors, like who have this very specific vision of what their show is going to be, what the comedy is going to be within the show, uh, the, the beats they're going to hit, the attitudes they're going to carry. Um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a very specific challenge. That's something that I think if you take the time to think about it, just to that degree, you should be able to appreciate the work that went into it, which is why it was so exciting to see it get nominated. Um, shifting back to the predictions a little bit, casting in a comedy typically ends up going with the comedy series winner. So we've seen last year Schitt's Creek won, the year before that it was Fleabag, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, and Two Years of Veep. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not going to have a huge problem with Ted Lasso winning this category because one of the things you also have to consider is they didn't have the same challenge that Pen15 had, but they're still starting a comedy series from scratch. It is very ensemble driven. They're trying to bring in uh, people who are both convincing as actors, obviously within their characters outside of the field and athletes when they're on the field, uh, as well as owners. And, and, you know, like everything that's specific to that idea of casting, um, they have to look far and wide and they really found people who could connect with each other, who could connect with the vibe and who obviously resonated with, audiences so um that whole category is amazing and i think you could make the same argument for hacks like uh there's a reason that so many of those actors ended up getting nominated whether it was carl clemens hopkins or uh who was the who was the guest actress who got nominated for hacks it was uh it was her first uh, it nomination. was jane it was jane adams yeah jane adams um i think kind of their nomination speaks to this this very interesting uh task set before them where it's like you've got this weird las vegas reality that you have to kind of create around gene smart's character you have to be able to build that out and then you also have to have people who are very very associated with kind of an la mentality you know to circle around hannah a little bit um but you've also got her family and you've got uh, just, you know, characters who are characters, characters who can exist and fill that space and make it really exciting and really funny for, you know, the entirety of the episode for that whole thing. Like they have to be able to carry it uh, in specific moments. And I think they really did. And I think that's why so many of them ended up getting nominated, which was exciting. So I love the casting category. I oh, yeah. And I think it's a great embodiment of where we're at right now, like as like us as a group. Uh, where it's like, let's just try to talk about some of the things we like and are excited about uh, to appreciate the work that went went into it. Because I'm sure in like three weeks, I'll be screaming about, you know, this thing has to win or the world will end and I'll murder everyone. So no, uh, Ben, Ben, let's be peaceful for now. You're a glass half full guy now. You're a half full guy. Positivity, Total positivity. Just wait till we talk about drama, then you're going to hear the fun stuff. Also, if I can just add again, after after Libby talked about the Pen15, uh, Ben is also right about Ted Lasso. I mean, the, the fact that they have seven actors in, in the, the yeah. four main categories nominated, and that doesn't include Tahib Jamo, who, who could probably make an argument for being in the supporting uh, actor race himself and may make that noise in season two. Ben, that, that you want to pick up and complain about... Um... <laughs> Uh, is B positive going to win for directing in a Sorry. comedy? No, but I am curious about the comedy directing categories, mainly because there's always talk of a preference being given to something that's hour long when it's when you're competing in these categories against shows that are typically a half hour long. So some people are are ready to kind of favor 
the flight attendant in that category directed by Susanna Fogel, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Um, and it's another category where you've got three, three Ted Lasso nominees in there. You also have two uh, kind of classics that comes from James Widows and James Burroughs, Mom and Be Positive, respectively. And then you've got Hacks, uh, which, you know, I think we're all very excited. We'd love to see kind of Hacks sneak away with this thing. Um, but it's 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 one category that I don't really know what to predict. I love the work of everybody within it they've all done exceptional jobs with what they've been given um you know we've been lucky enough to talk to sadakis about some of the stuff that he worked with these directors on for ted lasso and you know he appreciates their contributions very specifically so it's nice to see specific people honored um but i'm not i'm not sold on flight attendant actually winning it i don't know if it's going to be vote splitting and that'll hurt ted lasso but i wouldn't be too surprised if hacks was able to steal this one and that would make me very happy i just i honestly i'm just looking for ways for hacks to kind of get more than gene smart i think that there was obviously with 15 total nominations and you know plenty of creative arts categories in play it could you know get its fair share of wins so to speak um but the nominations alone kind of point to the fact that people respect this show beyond you know the star and at the same time it's like i'd love to see it win a couple and you know, almost make that succession-esque first season move of just stealing a couple key little categories and be like, yeah, that feels good. That feels right. That's a good one. They deserve it. And, you know, Lucia is one that, that definitely would for directing. Oh. So, yeah, I, I will say like, it's very, it, I, I, I think to myself, oh, it has 15 nominations. Obviously the Academy's into it. Uh, and then I think about Ozark. Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Anne Harris-Brights and our publisher is James Israel. And the search for our executive editor goes on. The top three performing Lil Dicky songs on Spotify oh, shit. are Freaky Friday featuring Chris Never. Brown, which has 556 million streams. Yes, that Chris Brown, Libby. Save that money. The uh, aforementioned save that money with a dollar sign in the S and a DAT for that. That money. Featuring featuring Fetty Wap. And then Earth, which has uh, 170 million streams. Millions of screens strongly endorses watching the music video for Pillow Talk featuring Brain. Now Brain, I think is just Lil Dicky, but there is in the video a Brain. I might be wrong about that. It is a very good music video. It's directed by Tony Ascenda, who did uh, American Vandal and a lot of funnier die stuff. But yeah, I, I strongly recommend watching the music video for Pillow Talk. Yeah, it's eleven minutes long. Very confusing. All of that. All of all of the things you just said, Leo, were very confusing to me. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Fire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leonardo Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave a review and let us know what you think. This has been Libby and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> <laughs>